attacks on the on human dignity, both individually and collectively in the family and in the community. That's a global issue. And the defense uh, of life and human dignity has to have a global response. Hello, LifeSite friends. Aren't you sick of the cancel culture? Aren't you sick of the overlords at YouTube deciding what you'll be able to see and what you won't? Are you sick of them dictating morality and your use of pronouns? Well, we have had enough. With rampant attacks and continuous censorship we face here at LifeSite News, we've decided to bite the bullet. We are taking video into our own hands and we're playing on our own terms rather than the whims of big tech. We have launched our own video platform. Now we have the ability to showcase our important news and views without the risk of being banned and silenced. Defenders of faith, life, family and freedom can now speak freely at LifeSite News without censorship from anti-life, anti-family, anti-faith, anti-freedom folks who seem to run all the big tech companies. This, of course, takes tons of hard work and also your support. So we're in the midst of our quarterly spring fundraising campaign, and we are in need of your support, both prayerful and financial. These fundraising campaigns are vital to our survival and the ability to broadcast the truth for free all around the world. So with the launch of our new video platform, we will be incurring many new ongoing expenses due to the size and bandwidth of our servers, the personnel expenses to maintain such a large system, and for new and improved features that we hope to add in the coming months. We must raise our campaign goal of an absolute minimum of $500,000 to continue the fight to withdraw completely from big tech and strengthen our ability to survive in the giant online world. So please donate at the link in the description below. Thank you for your prayers, your support, and your dedication. We are honored to be in this fight with you. May God bless you. Greg Shea, welcome to our studio. Great to be here. So we have this opportunity to explain to all of our LifeSite friends and especially our supporters what the opportunity we have is in Africa. This is actually our first real foray into having a, an office, if you will, in Africa, in East Africa right now in Nairobi. Um, tell us if you would your vision for LifeSite Africa and how that might have a very significant impact. Well, thank you first for the opportunity, uh, John Henry, to work with the LifeSite family um, and to bring some of the energy and I would indeed say uh, innovation and wisdom and prayerfulness of the African uh, continent into the full fold of the LifeSite family. Um, about a year and a half ago, I think we first connected, and I, my father had some history with uh, the movement that gave rise to LifeSite News as a medical uh, ethics commentator. And I was always uh, involved in one way or another. And uh, I had a career as a diplomat and then in technology as a business uh, businessman, all of that being in Asia, or most of it. And only more recently I had come to Africa because, again, it was the new continent with new opportunities. In this case, it was with some of the technology work and investment uh, work that we were doing. And I found myself after moving around Africa a little bit, which is huge. It's three times the size of the continental U.S. And it's very diverse and extraordinarily diverse. Um, 
Nairobi was the logical place because there were some very interesting innovations starting to happen in the area that I was involved in, which is more mobile technology, in the area of mobile banking and so forth, uh, and mobile payments. And so that's what brought me to Africa about 10 years ago. And then more recently, again alluding to that uh, history of interest and support for uh, pro-family and pro-life, I felt strongly that there was uh, a need for a greater connection uh, of that which was happening in Africa, uh, both in terms of the faith in general and those issues as they were evolving um, and they were starting to be influenced by global forces, for that to be connected to the greater world so that there could be both an awareness of experiences that had been had outside in managing and dealing with and confronting some of the challenges there, as well as uh, indeed inspiration from Africa outward in terms of the enthusiasm and the energy and the spirit that they have for life. And so it is in that regard that we uh, started about a year ago and we we have our first associates now who are starting to get involved and trained and reporting and and uh, building up their cadre of experience. And it's been, you know, two steps forward, one step back, as it always is in, a, in, a, in an initial setting. But I think on the whole, and especially since the more uh, the recent visit of yourself and Jim, um, I, I think it's been uh, quite an interesting ride and, the, and we're just getting started. Amen to that. You know, there was a lot of providence in this latest trip to Africa. We, we, you know, decided to do that. It's always a hard decision to make to, you know, expand, you know, the expenses. But you always wonder what you're called to do. And um, it was very interesting, the timing, because we did it because really of your suggestion. And, uh, you know, it was fortuitous for doing it at that point for you. But then after we book it, we find out that Pope Francis is indeed going <laughs> there as well, shows up there while we're there. Mm -hmm. uh, we're able to be, therefore, on that time schedule, able to react immediately to what's gone on with the plane interview on his return trip when mm -hmm. we were still in Africa. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, Jill Biden, the first lady of the United States, is there. Um, and in all counts, they're pushing the same anti-life, anti-family agenda mm -hmm. that we were just there with the bishops talking about, the Archbishop of Kampala, the Bishop of Kitui in Kenya. Um, and so this was a, a totally providential timing, so such that you had the answer while the Pope was calling out on on uh, in late January, January 25th, calling out the bishops of Africa in need of conversion, conversion yeah. on these anti-sodomy laws. Mm -hmm. We were able to get to Africa very shortly thereafter and have the bishops explain their support for mm -hmm. these anti-sodomy laws. He then goes away, uh, you know, on on uh, in the early February, again calling for the same thing, um, and yet we have the answers at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then when Jill Biden's there, uh, promoting contraception and telling the young people to go and have con bring contra the contraceptive message to their schools and their churches, mm -hmm. were able to garner the reaction from not only Kenyan politicians and uh, but also from church leaders mm. because we have these direct contacts in Africa. So it's been a very providential mm. and very fortuitous for LifeSite uh, interaction already right at the beginning sure. of our working together. So. Mm. That's truly amazing. But take us deeper, if you will, into Africa and the benefit uh, of being there for LifeSite, for those who love life and family. Mm. 
Well, I, I see it as from when we were working in, in the past, I worked in these global technology companies and they would talk about three time zones when they were developing their software to move through the different time zones. And, the, and you know, they'd address all the markets and this was the big expansive vision. In a way, when we're looking at um, uh, the global challenges of attacks on the on human dignity, both individually and collectively in the family and in the community, that's a global issue. And the defense uh, of life and human dignity has to have a global response. And that global response is really impoverished if it isn't including the Africans. Now, not simply because of demographics, and we all know the history of that in recent decades, um, religion in general, be it any of the well, Islamic or Christian, Protestant and Catholic, have all found fertile soil and they boomed, so to speak. And we, we all know about this uh, numerically, and that's part of the demographic of youth of Africa as well. But I think more importantly, there's, there's an insight which comes from um, an African sense of the balance between the individual and the community, um, which also is part of the, the response and also is part of the global uh, solution set. And I think one of the lay leaders that we met um, was the, the head of the lawyers and the professional association in Nairobi who put that so well. You know, that uh, the, in, in Asia, they have this genius of the, the rights and the dignity of the community. And in the West, they have the individualism and individual rights. And in Africa, we like to think we bring that together. That's an example of the innovation, if you will, or that different perspective that comes from the cradle of humanity. Uh, and so that, as much as we are helping, and they very much appreciate, and it's amazing how many people follow LifeSite in Africa. I think you found that uh, in in. Uh, in, in Nigeria and in Kenya and all over in South Africa. But at the same time, their ways of uh, responding to and informing their thought and their belief on these challenges to human dignity, I think are inspiring as well mm -hmm. for all of us. Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. One of the, I think, neatest opportunities that is there is that you know LifeSite's been around now for over 25 years we've basically charted the decline and fall of the entire west of, of america of canada of all of europe basically losing it on life and family to an extent now that it's total insanity mm -hmm. yet africa's not there yet they're sort of like us in i don't know what would you say what kind of year they're at they're at least 30 years behind us, but what, what would you say? What year are they sort of at? Well, when it comes to these issues, I've often felt that it, it, I can imagine a time not maybe of my youth when I'm, I'm a child of the 60s, I'm born in 1960, and my consciousness of politics and society was more towards the latter 60s after the, you know, the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. I remember that very well in JFK. Um, and, and then there was all that change. I remember in school, we started to have things change and, and the way we went and prayed at mass, um, 
the, you know, all of that swirl of change that came after the Vatican Council. And that's when I started to come into an awareness. And I feel we're roughly in that time right now, at least in, in Nairobi, which is one of the more developed urban centers. If you go to the countryside, it might be a little bit before the Vatican mm -hmm. II, right? Where there, there really is um, no understanding of, for example, transgenderism, like a explain that to me you know it's like how, how does that work uh, and and so, so many of these issues it would be perhaps something more in the classic time of Ozzy and Harriet Nelson or something you know, where the family is well defined and um, but I, I think if you get into the city obviously like Nairobi which is a major center of international engagement through the UN system um, and through again even in my sector in, in IT and technology um, it's one of the three or four cities that would be a bridge heading Africa into the international uh, environment. Um, you see the the shift in thinking and the influences and the resources of groups that would like to see Africa go in a certain direction from the West, clearly, but also you could say from China and from the Arab money and the Indians and all over the world now. Africa seems to be a place where uh, there's more attention being paid, whether it's for commercial interest or for an ideological uh, attempt to sway their thinking. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, that's patently true from the Biden administration, from uh, Trudeau's efforts in Canada and, and from the whole of Europe to try and push Africa and to their ideological agenda, for sure, uh, as, as uh, Pope Benedict used to say, an ideological colonization. And, uh, you know, that is so evident, the, the kind of you want a loan? <laughs> you have to attach to it the, uh, you know, contraception, abortion, LGBT agenda. But it's been resisted. I mean, at this point, the Africans are, at least when it comes to the LGBT agenda, which is really trying to be pushed right now, it's still absolutely not. South Africa, of course, is different. They've mm -hmm. made inroads there that, you know, look to be uh, quite extreme. But the rest of Africa is still at that point where we might have been, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Mm. No, we value life. We value the family. To a large extent, they've made inroads on the in the area of contraception. And that in, in speaking both with both the Archbishop of Kampala and the Bishop of Kutui both acknowledge, yeah, that there's you know, been infiltrated, if you will, mm. on that score. But imagine that we have the ability still to intervene into a discussion which hasn't yet got there. Mm. Imagine having the ability to intervene in America in the late 1950s, early 1960s, mm. before we went completely insane. With an experience set. Exactly. There's the difference. Exactly. And so we're able to bring there our experiences, our knowledge of the argumentation used, and it's going to be slightly different, mm -hmm. but the devil usually doesn't change his tactics. Yeah. It's more fundamentally alike than it is different. Right. Yeah. So there is an incredible opportunity to be able to assist our brothers in Africa who in, in you know, running the pro-life movement, running the movement to protect the family, which, by the way, are one movement in Africa, yeah. unlike here. That's true. Um, and uh, and really helping the church as well, because there they're still speaking. Mm -hmm. Bishops and priests are regularly speaking from the pulpits, mm. the truth on life and family. And, without, and lay leaders as well. well absolutely. Yeah. But without the, um, eh, what would you call it? Do you know how 
here, if they mention mm -hmm. anything on these issues, they don't spell it out. Well, mm -hmm. when we were in the Mass with the Bishop of Katui, mm -hmm. in the Mass, in the homily, he talked about um, homosexuality and said, girls, you should never be kissing other girls. And so it was, <laughs> it was there was no beating around the bush. Yes. Truly beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the areas where Africa gives back mm -hmm. and is able to influence the West in a, in a huge way. Mm -hmm. These bishops are still speaking, mm. speaking the truth in plain English mm. so that people can hear it and understand it and go, oh, that is the faith. Yes. That is the faith of our fathers. Mm. That I found was so beautiful. Absolutely. And I I remember my, my father um, back in the, as early as I can remember, late 60s, early 70s, saying, those church leaders, you know, it's that's the wellhead. And if they're not going to speak courageously and put themselves at risk and I guess their position at risk by saying that which is inconvenient, uh, you know, perhaps smelling up the room or whatever, <laughs> to be blunt, then where are the rest of the lay leaders from the different disciplines? And he was involved in the Doctors Guild, the Catholic Doctors Guild, and there was the Lawyers Guild. I remember Gwen Landolt and others. Um, and they had the various professions. They all worked together. But they were all, I mean, they all were, um, they had some priests, uh, the, Father Culleton and others, you know, that obviously were there and were feeding and providing. But when it came to the higher up in the, in the leadership, it was um, a very frustrating experience. And that's why, one of the main reasons why it's a different mm -hmm. in Africa, whether you're a Catholic or indeed an Anglican or in the other uh, denominations of the Christian faith and, and, and Islam as well, um, they're pretty, they're pretty clear mm -hmm. uh, that this is against our human dignity. And more recently, and I think it's something to do with the red pilling that happened with um, the whole COVID uh, situation in Africa, where the virus, uh, the vaccines came very late to Africa. They weren't distributed initially, alleged uh, the international agencies were, were accused, and you can Google this, of, what do they call it, uh, COVID apartheid. Hmm. because uh, they weren't able to get at the early uh, distribution of the vaccine um, for logistics or financial reasons, more likely financial. And there were those complaining within uh, the chattering classes in Africa, how typical, you know, um, they all they have big hat, no horses. You know, they, have a, they talk a good game, but in the end, we don't get our... Uh, and so, so we had a youthful demographic, median age 18 in sub-Saharan Africa, yeah with the virus and its earlier versions ripping itself through the body politic or the the society. Uh, it, and then you had natural immunity installed. Um, everyone had a cold back in January of 2020, everyone recalls, a really bad cold. Some of it actually even in December. I remember large groups of African, uh, sorry, of, of Chinese laborers and managers coming for the various projects that are happening. And this is what's commonly believed to have inoculated uh, the bulk of the Africans because those projects are all over Africa, right? So anyway, flash forward from the delay in the, in the access to the vaccines from, well, let's say early 2021. By early 2022, I may have my dates a little wrong, they started to become available. And of course, they were near their stale date. Right. And, and they were being rolled off for great publicity and press release of here we are, it's contributed. And by that point, you had natural immunity. Mm -hmm. Plus, you started to have leaking through the filters, 
concerns about, uh, you know, maybe the, there's some problems with these vaccines as well. Mm -hmm. So a long story short, the official claims are, even the official claims, which are as rosy as possible, are something like 10 to 15 percent one shot or, or more. Wow. And then the fully vaxxed, the, the, you know, the full treatment with the boosters, that's in single digits. Wow. Even in a city like Nairobi, a more advanced city that's more hip and with it, right? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and more recently, it's just like basically gone flat because there's, there's no incidence. Mm -hmm. And in the hospitals, there's no, there's no issue, yeah. right? I mean, they did have, uh, in the initial phases, they certainly were those that were sick and those who were older and had comorbidities like you have everywhere else. But there aren't so many of those folks. Mm -hmm. And it's been argued that um, why is it that Africa didn't get flattened as was predicted, mm -hmm. you know, by those who were rightfully, I guess, worried that they weren't getting the vaccine. Well, long story short, maybe the demographics and, and the natural immunity, you had this. Now you go forward a little bit further and you have that last summer, the WHO had the meeting where there was the vote. Uh, I may be off on my uh, fine points on this, but my understanding is that the vote to allow for the WHO to have uh, superseding authority on pandemic management was defeated essentially by, it was it Zambia, backed by other African foreign ministers saying, uh, no, they didn't get the magic number, whatever it was, two thirds, it had to be a supermajority. And that was because there was a block of African votes. Hmm. And that I, I can tell you was connected to the history I just relayed to you. Well, he heck, you know, if it's the case that this was coming on and it was perhaps not ready for prime time as a medicine, not to hmm. say that it couldn't be, uh, we'd like to have maintain our regional and or national say in these matters. Mm -hmm. You know, so once again, Africa giving back, right? So that yeah. we might be able to not go further into some errors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's what's truly beautiful is the sane voices on life and family coming not only from church leadership, but also from political leadership. Mm -hmm. So you have, you know, the the press right now, I mean, just the other day, just after the visit of uh, of Jill Biden, surprise, surprise, the Supreme Court in Kenya decides to allow for LGBT lobby groups to be registered in the country. Mm -hmm. But, okay, so bad news. But to hear the chorus yes. of united complaint from all the politicians, from all of the church leadership, from all, every denomination of mm -hmm. Christianity and from the Muslims and the whole of the populace, that's incredible. That's right. Yeah. And it's beautiful because, you know, I think the West is so used to political correctness. Oh, they've made another pro-trans whatever decision. Mm -hmm. Everybody keep your head down. We'd mm -hmm. like to say what we'd like to say, but we can't. So we say nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's a robust yeah. rejection. Yeah, it's a tissue rejection. It's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. so that is and should be so inspiring for us in the West. That's some of the beauty of being able to interject into Africa and, and them being able to interject into America and the West. It is so beautiful. That mm -hmm. should be so encouraging, so mm -hmm. inspiring. Yes. And, and to, we can point to, there's the church. It's still alive. There's true politics. It's mm -hmm. still alive. Yes. And, and an authentic response. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I went on it uh, maybe at too much length on the, the whole dynamic of the COVID. And that is, in a sense, a red pill moment for African, not just African elites, but African populations. 
there was a like, hey, who? Let's hold a, hold the show here. So now comes uh, this other sort of missile delivered from tube number two, right, from the global west, as you were, uh, which is, I I would argue that if that, if you, uh, maybe this is a bit speculative, but if it weren't for that experience of the COVID, and, and maybe there's always silver linings in tragic events, right? If it weren't for that sort of priming of the wariness collectively of Africans about uh, very helpful, not just suggestions, but movements of action, uh, that it, it's because of that reaction and that, that sort of... Uh, collective giving your head a shake you know that we have this response as strong as it is i think the two are connected mm -hmm. so like and you can read that the commentary as well there is this sort of re-emergence of what used to be referred to as the pan-african spirit and it's not so much in a marxist or a free market context for economic uh, way forward it's in social cultural and familial mm -hmm. this is against and they'll say African values. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, they may then say, add to that the appendix of Christian or Muslim or indeed even nativist from, you know, pre-Western pre contact. Mm -hmm. uh, this would have been uh, rejected at any one of those levels of the fabric of their, of their spirit, mm -hmm. right? So now you're seeing it much more clearly. And I, I, would, I would suspect that um, this is a pattern we're going to see more of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, and this is the great hope that LifeSite has for Africa. To be able to help them as they help us is a great work, uh, not only of charity, but of brotherly love in, mm -hmm. in the truest of senses. Um, to recognize in our brothers and sisters there, who, by the way, um, are in great need. There's mm -hmm. a lot of poverty there. Mm -hmm. That's why LifeSite does the work with Sister Miriam mm -hmm. and in Nigeria with the persecuted there in Boko Haram. We're supporting mm -hmm. parishes there through our Life Funder, mm -hmm. which is just great. And we wanted to give all of you an opportunity to help us out with this African mission of LifeSite News. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful mission. It holds all sorts of promise. And it is really something that is very much worth doing. We've already been so blessed in this little time of working together. And uh, we really pray that, you know, this goes forward as a great work of the Lord. Um, we can't do this without your help. Um, any final thoughts, Greg? Well, my final thought, again, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, we're beginning a new dialogue. Um, as much as, as I think you saw, our presence there is richly appreciated by everyone that we're meeting. Uh, there's a very warm welcome. There's a very strong response from everyone, from, from the bishops to the, the lay groups to the youth groups. Um, and they are benefiting from it. Um, I would argue that the benefit is mutual because as we share uh, some of the scars on our arms, from the battles that we've, you know, been engaged in to stand up for the truth and, and for uh, true justice and human dignity. Um, the return is going to be multifold. And so that's part of the beauty of the whole exchange. Amen to that. Mm. Greg Shea, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great. And God bless, I pray, and mm. you all pray, please, too, yes. our future working together in Africa. God bless you. Thank, thank you. you. 
Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.